the age-old question, are you an optimist or a pessimist? (laughs) Don't raise your hand, I don't want to know. When you see the glass of water, is it half full or is it half empty? When you personally go through one of those weeks, we all go through eventually, and some of us seem to go through them regularly, are you basically positive at the end of the week or are you basically negative? Someone has said it this way, he said, between the positive and the, pe- and between the optimist and the, pe- and the pessimist, the difference is droll. The optimist sees the donut, the pessimist sees the whole. It has always been said that the optimist is a person who invented the airplane, the pessimist the person who invented the parachute. <laughs> now the truth is that in life we need them both. We need the pot of a- positive aspect of life as well as that aspect of life that looks realistically at the problems and says, well, life just isn't all a bowl of cherries. There are some pits in there as well. We need both. In the realm of faith and spirituality, I like to think of it as a place of biblical realism. I've been thinking a lot about uh, some in our church family this fall who have gone through some serious struggles some kind of crisis, and for some it was a major surgery. Themselves or of a loved one, for others it was a sudden death or an illness. For others the crisis involved one of their children. But here's the thing, even in the end the result is a good one. You don't always know how it's going to turn out. And as I thought about that, I've been thinking about the subject of cheerfulness. How do we deal with with the issues of life and still come out with cheerfulness. I want to share with you today not optimism, not pessimism, but about biblical realism. And in order to do that and get our thoughts clearly focused, I invite you to go with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And I'm going to read, we're going to read through a number of verses. First of all, Proverbs 12.25 says, Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. This is mostly observation, but it's telling us that kind words cheer up those who are discouraged. Proverbs 14.10, it's on screen. Why don't you read it with me? Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can fully share its joy. The first part of that, that is certainly true. There are those of us who have secret sorrows. There are those of us who, uh, though we may look good and may be well-dressed and have a smile on our face, behind that smile is a story and sometimes a heartache that we don't share with anyone else. Proverbs 14, 13, read it again with me. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. How true it is that even when we are laughing and putting forth a brave face for the crowd, even when we're going through the motions and trying to be very positive, on the inside there may be turmoil, there may be heartache, discouragement, even despair. And just because we see somebody laughing or smiling doesn't mean always that they're okay. Underneath that laughter, there may be something we know nothing about. Proverbs 14.30, join me. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, 
Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. This is a life verse, quality verse, isn't it? Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. In the Hebrew, it literally means that envy makes our bones disintegrate. This is an important verse. This verse is telling us that there's some kind of connection between the spiritual and the physical. And there's some kind of connection between our heart, our body, and between what goes on in the outside and what goes on in the inside. And the attitude of the heart has a direct impact on our physical well-being or the lack thereof. If our heart is at peace, it gives life to our whole body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And one more, Proverbs 15, 13. Read it with me. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Crushes the spirit. In Acts 15, 15, it says, For the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. A cheerful heart is like sitting down to a feast in the table at the table of the Lord. Now I want you to focus for a moment on the theme verse for our, which is our text this morning, and it comes from Proverbs 17:22. And uh, read it with me. This is the one I want to focus in on. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I think we should put a star by this verse in our Bible. Uh, it is suggesting something to us. It tells us that there's a relationship between the condition of our heart and the condition of our body. There's a relationship between our physical and spiritual health. A broken spirit saps a person's strength. Literally, it means it sucks out the marrow of life from our bones. Proverbs 18.1 says, Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. And we all know people who struggle with sickness or weakness, and, and yet when you go to see them, they cheer you up. People who are down and out physically, but when you go to see them and spend some time with them, they actually make you feel better because they're, they have a strong spirit, even though their body may be wasting away. On the other hand, we all know people who are sick, and yet their spirit is crushed. And when you go to see them, you feel worse when you, le when you leave than when you came because they've sucked the life out of your soul as well. Well, these verses are telling us that there's this basic relationship between our mental attitude and our physical well-being. And said another way, what we are in the heart has a direct bearing on our physical uh, life, our physical health. What, what is on the inside eventually manifests itself physically on the outside. Now, having said that, I want to ask you, why is it that a cheerful heart is so important? And the answer is because of the truth of Romans 8.28. And here the Apostle Paul says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It is a difficult world out there. It's a world that's filled with sin and sickness and heartache and despair, but, but thank God sin is not the final word in this world. 
There is a word beyond sin, beyond the fall, beyond degradation, and that word is Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came into the world, there is now healing and salvation and forgiveness and deliverance and hope. So what does Romans 8.28 mean when God, by, uh, by God causes everything to work together? How inclusive is that? Well, it includes all that can happen in the life of the child of God. It includes the good, the bad, the health, the sickness, the wealth, the poverty, the sunlight, the shadow, the high noon, the midnight, the life, death. It is all that can happen in our life in the will of God to the child of God. And it means that Romans 8.28 is still true, just as true in the hospital as it is in this worship center. It means that when you are in the waiting room and that clock does, doesn't seem to move and you know that your loved one is in the hands of a surgeon, that no matter what the outcome, whether life or death or cancer or no cancer, whether you see it or that person again or not, you know that moment is in God's hands. It is part of all things that work together for good. There's nothing that can happen to us that is outside the knowledge and the care of God. He will cause it all to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. At the age of 83, President Ronald Reagan wrote a letter to the American people, you may remember this, in which he said that he had just been diagnosed as having Alzheimer's. I encourage any of you who haven't to go back in the archives and read it. It is a wonderful statement of faith. The people who knew President Reagan speak about his Christian faith and values, and he wrote this letter from that standpoint, and he said, I write because I do not want to keep a secret from the American people. My wife had breast cancer, and we told you. They tried to assassinate me, and we told you. And now I have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I want to tell you. I want you to know this so that you will know about us and so that I can encourage other people whose families may be going through this disease. There is a stigma in some places attached to Alzheimer's. As for me, I feel very good right now, and as long as I'm able... I will continue to do all the things I have been doing. I now begin the journey that will carry me into the sunset of my life. That last sentence is a beautiful phrase, isn't it? It's picturesque in its deepest sense. Uh, but it's also rather biblical. At the end of this letter, he says, Until the Lord calls me home, I intend to do what I have always done, and that is to help people in, it in whatever way I can. Now, this letter reflected a man who seemed to understand that all things work together for good. Here was a person who could look at a disease that has the power to suck the life out of a person and say, I still believe in God. I still believe the Lord has a plan for my life. You see, a cheerful heart is important because God is saying to us, my children, sometimes you're going to face things that you can't understand in life. Sometimes you're going to face heartache and pain and difficulty that go far beyond anything that you thought you could ever endure. And sometimes you're going to be in the waiting room of life for weeks and months and maybe even years. But I want you to know that even there, 
I am your God, and I am working out a plan in your life. So how do we have a cheerful heart even in the darkest moments of our life? What are we to do in those moments? Uh, what are, we are to do in those moments is to stand back and over those unexplainable things in life, put up a sign that says, shh, quiet, God's at work. Romans 8.28 tells us that God is at work whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we believe it or not. And so our attitude makes all the difference. And the question is not, do we have all the answers? Because I can assure you that in the moment of crisis, you will not always have the answers that you're looking for. The better question is, do you believe that there is a God who's at work in that situation? The Christian answer to that is yes. There, that is how we have a cheerful heart, even in the darkest moments of life. We can have a cheerful spirit if we believe there is a God in heaven who loves us and who's at work in ways that we can't see, we can't always understand. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. The Hebrew language has a number of tenses in it. And one of the tenses is called the causative tense. And you put a verb in the causative tense when you want to say that one thing causes another thing to happen. And that's what you have here in verse 22. A literal translation would be, a cheerful heart causes good healing. And what the Bible is telling us here is that our attitude, the way we approach the problems of life and the trials of life actually bring, can bring about good healing. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? There's an old story, you may have heard it, a true story about Dr. Norman Cousins, who for a number of years was on the medical staff at UCLA School of Medicine. About 50 years ago, Dr. Cousins was diagnosed with having a strange, rare kind of disease that was destroying the connective tissue in his body and the doctors gave him the battery of expensive tests and said sorry there's nothing we can really do it's degenerative and it's terminal and dr Cousins said well i don't want to give up so he sat set himself on a, a regimen of exercise high doses of vitamin c and then added an unusual thing he got it he bought a projector and rented the marx brothers and the three stooges and all these movies and cartoons so that, that he could find, and he, for hours every day, he would take his vitamin C, and he would watch the Marx Brothers or the Three Stooges, and he would laugh his head off. And what he discovered that was, is that with, with 10 minutes of hearty laughter, uh, he had a whole hour free of pain. So he would watch these movies over and over and over again, and he, he discovered that, uh, that he began to get better. And the day came when he went back to the doctor and, and, and the doctor said, we don't know what happened uh, because this was an incurable disease. But as far as we know, you are completely cured. You're completely cured. He lived another 20 years. And, that, and he wrote a book called The Anatomy of an Illness in which he made the point that our mental attitude, the cheerfulness or the lack of cheerfulness, has a great deal to do with whether we get sick or how bad we get sick or whether we get well or how quickly we get well. And what he discovered is nothing more than what Solomon told us 3,000 years ago. 
which is that a cheerful heart causes good healing. I've talked to health professionals over the years who have said the same thing. They tell stories of people who have come to them deathly sick, yet who sometimes had better outcomes because they had a positive spirit and were surrounded by positive people. And I've also known people who should have gotten better, but who got worse, who were sick a long time, in some cases didn't recover, in part because they had a negative, hostile, hopeless spirit about them. And I've wondered over the years about whether or not there is any difference in terms of health outcomes between Christians and non-Christians. And I've heard medical professionals say, yes, we see a big difference between someone we treat who has a strong faith in Christ and someone who doesn't. We see a difference in the healing process, in the attitude of those who have faith in God versus those who don't. Why should any of that surprise us? All of that is nothing more than what was written in the Old Testament book of Proverbs years ago. Solomon said it, and modern medical science has taken a while to catch up to it. So I want to finish this message today by suggesting to you eight ways that we can cultivate a cheerful heart. First of all, cultivate your relationship with God. Make sure that you spend time with God every day. Don't just seek peace with God, but remember we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Second, cultivate a forgiving spirit. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There are people who are suffering physically because they're angry, because they're bitter, because because they refuse to forgive. Years ago, the Chicago Tribune published a story about a pastor in Connecticut whose son was murdered. And he became friends with the man who killed his son. The Reverend Walter Everett forgave the man who killed his son seven years before. He also helped to get him out of prison early and even officiated at this man's wedding. There was a quote from the pastor that said, I've known people whose loved ones had been murdered and years afterwards they still seemed consumed by the anger and hatred and I didn't want that to happen to me. And the article then talked about the man who killed his son. The man's name was Carlucci. And the article said that Carlucci felt redeemed by Walter Everett's compassion. But like a lot of people, he couldn't fully understand how this pastor could forgive him. And Carlucci said, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and if anybody ever hurt her, I'd probably, you know, feel like I would have to hurt them. And then he quotes a moment in the jail when the pastor forgave the man who killed his son. And Carlucci describes it. He said, he told me he had forgiven me because of the love of God. And tears were coming down my face, and it made me feel like I wanted to live, whereas before, I didn't care. Now, the only problem with a story like that is it seems so unbelievable, and yet it's true. There are people who suffer deeply, physically and emotionally, because they will not forgive. Envy and unforgiveness and bitterness rot the bones. Anger rots our human spirit. Maybe if you wonder why you're not doing well, why you can't sleep at night, why you have stomach 
aches and headaches and backaches and why you're messed up all the time and just don't feel good, try looking in the mirror and see if there's an angry person staring back at you. Until you do something about the anger and the bitterness, we're going to be sick because the Bible says it happens that way. It literally rots our bones. But here's the third key point. Dwell on unseen realities. Think about the things that you know to be true, but you can't see. Things like heaven, eternity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Fourth, keep a long view of life. Proverbs 15, 15, for the, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Does that mean that we will ha 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 our way through life? No. What it means is if we take the long view of life, we stand back and understand that God is involved in every part of life, the good part, the bad parts, we can look at the whole thing and feel that we are blessed. Number five, associate with cheerful people. Some of us get messed up because we hang around with messed up people. Or we're angry because we're hanging around with angry people all the time. Or we're bitter because we're hanging around with people who are bitter. People who are critical or whining all the time. Find some cheerful people to make you cheerful. Six, be a load lifter, not a burden maker. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Don't be one of those people who makes life harder for other people. Be a load lifter. Seven, listen to some good music. God gave music as a means of lifting our sad hearts. Whether it's words to an old hymn like we sang earlier, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, or Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, or a more modern song that we're going to sing in closing today, In Christ Alone My Hope is Found. Music has a way of lifting our tired hearts. God gave us good music and told us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to lift our spirits. Now here's the last one, number eight. Live a life of active love. I ran across this sentence recently. A selfish person can never be cheerful. They can be happy, but they'll never be cheerful. Only a giver can be cheerful. Only a lover, somebody who invests in the lives of other people, can really be cheerful and positive about life. So get involved in the lives of other people and help yourself to a cheerful heart. Some of you I know have experienced sitting at the hospital waiting for uh, someone in surgery, waiting on that news. Been there many times with families. And then the surgery, which was originally scheduled to take an hour, stretches into three hours. You know that feeling? You find yourself emotionally exhausted. Your mind begins to play tricks on you. You don't know, so you worry. And sometimes you fear the worst. 
I read a story uh, about a man who had cancer. He was very old. His doctor was trying to help him deal with the situation and said to him, don't you have any children you can talk to? No. You have a wife? No. Parents? No. Brothers and sisters? No. Don't you have any friends you can talk to about this? No. Do you go to church somewhere? No, I gave up on that years ago. Well, who's going to help you with what you have to go through? And the man looked at the doctor and he said, well, I guess nobody. You're the only person I have to talk to about this. Here was a man who had accepted the fact that he was going to die alone. And as I read that, I thought, what a horrible thing. To go through life is hard enough. If you know Jesus, how does anybody do it without him? How does anybody live one day without God in their life? What do you do in the struggles of life if you don't know Jesus? Where do you go if not to the Lord when it's your time to be in a family crisis in a matter of life and death? But thank God for Jesus. Thank God that he's, uh, he is alive. Jesus said, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I can tell you that I have felt God's presence with me so many times in my life. I've experienced his hand helping me, and some of you can say the same thing. If you don't know Jesus today, my heart goes out to you, and I invite you, or I urge you to turn away from whatever's keeping you from God and run to him, because someday we're all going to need him. I don't know all what you have been through in life, but I do know that for some of you, life has been hard. Just know that Jesus will carry you through. He is a wonderful Savior, so be encouraged, people of God. Lift up your heads, rejoice, for the Son of God has brought us this far, and he promises to be with us to the end. And no matter what happens to us, the Lord Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. Amen?